The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. Brian here with a quick announcement. A few people have asked for ways to support the show, so starting today you can donate to the show on Patreon. Donating will get you some audio extras each month, as well as some treats like stickers in the mail. For more info, click the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash lovehurtspod. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Dave Hugh. Dave is a storyteller living in New York City. Growing up, Dave fell out of place living with his family in the Bronx. When he found a new scene in the village, Dave jumped fully into that world, finding a new group of friends, but rebelling against his family in the process. Hey Dave, how you doing? Good, good. What's going on? Happy holidays. Happy holidays. People, this will air three months from now, and people will be like, what holiday is this? Exactly. It's wishy-washy, and uh, <laughs> it's right after Christmas. Yes. <laughs> There's my um, hint. Yes. Well, thanks. Thanks for being here. Um, yeah, what do you want you. to talk about today? Uh, so I'm going to talk about fitting in, about, you know, going to school in the Bronx during the early 90s, how everyone was, like, into, like, you know, baggy-ass jeans and just, like, saggy t-shirts and listening to, like, you know, Biggie Smalls and Tupac. And for me, it was quite awkward and a little bit scary because I was literally the only one just wearing crew neck sweaters <laughs> and beige corduroy pants. Yeah. So like to paint the picture, you're just like very much standing out in terms of all these people that you're around, all these kids. You're like the one kid who's just very like clean cut dressed in sweaters and stuff. Oh, no doubt. Just like listening to Nirvana on my, on my disc, man. But, um, <laughs> but apparently, you know, my shit wasn't smelling like teen spirit. Yeah. And, you know, it was uh, it was hard. It was hard to fit in because, like, also being the only Asian kid in, a, like, in a, in a city high school, which was full of, like, Spanish and black. Okay. That's, like, the demographic that's around you. Oh, big time, yeah. Like, you're you're pretty much, like, one of the only Not, Asian... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was kind of, like, almost like fighting against the tide. Yeah. And every day I just kind of felt, you know, I was always trying to like, prove myself. So one afternoon, um, my sister... Uh, took me to the village, which is an artsy neighborhood in Manhattan. I remember we took like the five train at Pelham Parkway out along train ride. And when I got out to Astor Place Station, I remember the first thing was the neighborhood just smelled like overcooked hot dogs and burnt pretzels. <laughs> it was just kind of like this almost like foggy film and just blue sky. And everyone just looked like Andy Warhol with their moppy silver hair. <laughs> And her dark frame glasses and their black turtleneck squares from the Gap. And it was quite a culture shock. I mean, seeing that, especially when I saw a bunch of skinheads walking by us with, like, safety pins through their faces and just, like, you know, wearing their Descendants t-shirts and eating bagels. Yeah, yeah. like that St. Mark's kind of scene. Exactly. Like yeah. So they were ahead of their time with the bagels before it got <laughs> gentrified in Brooklyn. But um, we ended up um, at this place called The Unique Warehouse. Okay. Is this huge department store that sold vintage clothing. And I think the premise for why my sister took me to the village was because I was preparing for a school prom and I needed some cool clothing. And she would say, Hey, Dave, you know, let me take you to the village so you find like a nice blazer and a nice pair of slacks. Yeah. So she was very much like, I know that your style isn't good enough for prom. I'm going to help you out a little bit. Yeah. Pretty much the grunge look just didn't work. Yeah. So I um, walked in, and to my surprise, I remember the place was just covered in graffiti. 
and I could just hear like you know house and hip hop music just blasting from the sound system, and it kind of almost like resembled. I don't know if you remember uh, a TV show back in the early '90s called MTV The Grind. Oh yes, I'm like aware of it. I never really watched it, but I know what you're talking about. Right. It was a TV before reality TV actually took over MTV. It was like this reality dance party yes. where it's like hosted <laughs> by downtown Julie Brown, and it was the same idea of just people hanging out. Not even shopping, just almost like kids just like trying to look fresh. And I remember um, this kid walking by, and he had on this like, you know, polo crew neck sweatshirt, these baggy blue jeans and Air Force Ones. And I was like, dude, my man is just straight up crushing it, <laughs> especially with that bleached out crew cut hairstyle from Supercuts. He looked like Eminem before he became a real some shady. <laughs> and I was like, you know, digging the style and said, dude, I just want to be like him. And the next day, I didn't just pick up a blazer, but I picked up a whole outfit, and I was walking around school with these, like, oversized white t-shirt that said Phillies Blunts across it. I didn't even know what it meant, but it just looked kind of cool. It kind of looked like a baseball team. Yeah. And these, like, light blue baggy jeans and these white-on-white Air Force One knockoffs from Chinatown, looking like a homeless astronaut. And I remember this kid walked by me. I think his name was Jamal. And he was like, Ayo, Ayo. And I turn around and he says, Yo, that shit is mad ill. Where'd you get that? And I really didn't know how to respond. I felt like a deer in the headlights. And I said, Uh, the village? And he says, Word. And I felt kind of like good that day. I felt valued. Didn't feel like, you know, I was being like made fun of because of who I was. And after that day, I just stopped going to school, and I started hanging around the village and around the unique warehouse. <laughs> so you just stopped going to school, or like I told my yeah, you know what I told my folks that you know I had my book back and I say hey, listen, you know, I'll see you I'm going head into school, and instead of heading to school, I hopped on the number five train. Oh, and went, yeah, so yeah. went back to because you were just like you got a taste of the scene down there, yeah. and you were like, I want to be a part of this world. Now. Yeah, it's like you know it was a lot better than the Bronx because the Bronx back then was just kind of like you know. It wasn't happening. There was no, like, progression. It was just, like, bodegas and, you know, trees. Yeah, and it was also just a place that you were just not feeling like you were fitting in. Not at all. I mean, especially, I mean, all my life, I always hung out in the city because I just never fit in the Bronx. It's a great neighborhood to sleep and grow up in, but <laughs> it's just, like, hanging out and progression-wise on building up your character. It just wasn't there. So that's what I would do, just spend my afternoons around the village in a unique warehouse and I always see that kid walking around just looking mad fresh with the, like the latest gear from like Nautica and like FUBU. It seemed like, you know, Macy's had a holiday sale every day for him. <laughs> and I really wanted to talk to him, but I just didn't know what to say. So um, I just took a deep breath and I just walked up to him. And the first words that came out of my mouth was, hey, yo, that shit is mad ill. Where do you get that? And he had this like dirty look on his face and he paused. He's like, I stole it. You got a fucking problem? And I was like, word. We became friends after that day. <laughs> it was like amazing. His name is Josh, but people called him Adobe. And this guy was like the most charismatic person at the Unique Warehouse. And every day I'm just hanging out with Adobe and his friends around the Unique Warehouse. We head over Washington Square Park, smoke mad weed while listening to Cypress Hills. It was like insane in the membrane. Yeah, and this world is probably so different than what you're used to at this point, right? Like, you're just, like, again, falling in love with this this whole scene right. and, like, 
I don't know. I don't know if you were like smoking at that point. Like that was new to you. Like how much of this stuff was like new to you at that point? Everything was new to me. Yeah. Just like, you know, taking the train by myself, learning how the train system works, learning how to read the maps, learning about this like new culture of how people were dressing. It's like, wow, this is like something I never seen in a Bronx. Yeah. So you were very much in this like Bronx bubble. And then it was like, oh, yeah. there's a world outside of this that I actually find myself fitting into. Oh, yeah. Especially, it wasn't just, like, black, Spanish, it was white, Asian, and every, like, mix you can think of. It's like, everyone was together. Yeah. It's almost like the urban version of Lord of the Flies. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I became really, like, tight with these guys, and they invited me to go clubbing with them on Saturday night. But the problem is, I was, I'm only 14 years old, and I just didn't know what to do, because they were a lot older than me. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how much older do you think these guys were at they the were time? They were, like, 18. Okay. Like, 17, yeah, yeah, yeah. 18, or... So, still in high school, but maybe out of high school, like... Just fresh out of high school, yeah. or just never even attended yeah, high school. Never, yeah, yeah, okay. And Adobe just dig deep in his pocket, and he pulled out a fake ID. And it looked amazing, and it just said, Adobe... <laughs> His fake ID just said Adobe. It's yeah, like, Adobe uh, all caps. Yeah, <laughs> Adobe and Times New Romans caps. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's like the McLovin and Superbad, where he's just like, this is a one-word name that this guy has on his. Right, right. It was crazy. It's like you know he probably kind of must have inspired the movie Superbad. Oh my god! But said Adobe, yeah. <laughs> twenty-five, New York University, and. That afternoon, we went across town to the West Village, and we ended up at the smoke shop, and I paid $5 for my first fake ID. And back then, $5 was a lot of money for the early 90s. Yeah, but that's still pretty cheap for a fake ID. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you come think yeah, about it. Yeah, it's a it. lot of money for you at 14, but right. in the grand scheme of things, pretty good price. Yeah, yeah. Now, just looking back at it, and I'm looking at the ID, and I'm standing from like a rack full of porno magazines. <laughs> my eyes are like bloodshot red. My head looks like a fuzzy Q-tip, and I have this huge earring in my ear that looks like a shower ring for a curtain. Because back then, everyone was into, like, big hoop earrings in the area. I think everyone's into, like, the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. But um, it said, Dave, in Times New Roman. With one, just Dave. Dave, Dave, all caps, <laughs> 25, Harvard Business School. <laughs> Because all the NYU IDs got sold out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They were like, we got to branch out a little bit to Boston. Exactly. Exactly. So I felt like kind of like, you know, prestigious. Yes. And, um, you know, just looking back at it, I felt like Adobe and sports were not just my friends, but they were like brothers from different mothers that, you know, it just took me in under the wing. Yeah. They were like making you one of their own and, and you were a part of something. Yeah. It's like something that I felt like I never had in the Bronx. And it's like, you know, I wanted to like cherish it. And, but, you know, my folks weren't too happy because I was coming home really late at night, smelling like weed and just looking like one of the castaways from Gilligan's Island. <laughs> and I remember that night I was uh, getting ready to go clubbing and my mom and dad walked in and my sister and they said, Dave, you know, can we talk to you? And I'm like, no, why? I'm getting ready to go out. I said, Dave, just sit down. We just really want to talk to you. I'm like, Okay. We sat down, and the first thing that came out of my mom and sister's mouth was, what the hell is going on? And I just felt like this tingly, adrenaline feeling going through my body. Like, you know, this is conflict. 
And my mom said, we just found out you're not going to school anymore, and you're coming home late, smelling like weed with an attitude. We just want to know what the hell is going on. I said, nothing. You know, everything's going fine. She says, all right, is it because you're hanging out with that kid, Adobe? I said, yeah, Adobe's my friend. She says, Adobe's not your friend. He's using you. God forbid he ends up beating up and robbing you at the end of the night. I'm like, that's bullshit, you know? It's just like mouthy kid, you know, just rebellious. And my parents just said, hey, listen, you know what? You're grounded. You're never going out. And I was pissed off that night. But you know what? I was destined. I don't know if that's a proper word, but I was focused on hanging out with them. Yeah, like you knew that you wanted to go to this. It was just like the same night of the part, the same night of that club? Yes. Okay. It was a huge club back then. It was called NASA. Okay. And NASA, back then, in the early 90s, a lot of the raves, there was something with the rave scene was pretty big, as well as, like, you know, a lot of, like, gangster movies, like, due to, like, you know, Boys in the Hood and, like, Menace to Society was, like, you know, permeating to the East Coast. Several so ones was into, like, this hoodlum slash, like, raver look type feel. Okay. So it was, like, a lot of shit going on. So it was, like, they were scared because a lot of kids were getting beat up. But you know what? I didn't care. Because I just wanted to just like be cool, be yeah. part of the scene. And your parents were like, you cannot leave the house. And you're just like, I all I want to do is go be a part of this thing. Exactly. But you know what? I didn't even tell them that. What I did was I waited for them to go to sleep that evening. <laughs> it was like close to midnight. And I remember I took, my sister had this like stuffed teddy bear that she got from an amusement park called Playland. Like one eye missing. And what it did was I took that teddy bear and I just stuffed it under the sheets of my bed <laughs> to look like I was going to sleep when actually it looked like, you know, Lou Ferrigno was having sleep over my house. Yeah, like uh, this huge... <laughs> yeah, this like huge lump there. And I end up sneaking out and going clubbing with Adobe and his friends. <laughs> and it was um it was pretty um overwhelming because I remember it was just like really hot, a lot of like smoke, steamy and lights, and it's like... Music was just so loud. I felt like my eardrums were about to pop. So we all ended up going to the bathroom, just hanging out, and Adobe and his friends started passing around this blunt. And I remember when I inhaled it, it kind of like tasted almost like chlorine and metal and smoke, and just didn't resonate, didn't taste like weed. And like, Adobe, this doesn't taste like weed. He said, you're right, it's crack. Whoa. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, crack shit. Yeah, you know, like this just went up a notch. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I didn't expect that to happen, but um we ended up going to get pizza afterwards. I guess that's what happens when you fucking smoke crack. <laughs> <laughs> so um we uh we take a shortcut and we cut through the housing development, also called the projects where like low income folks live. And it was just like dark, damp and scary. And we're all, like, laughing, giggling, and I'm just kind of, like, you know, just following along because I don't know where the hell I am. Kind of, like, almost like a blind mice. And his friend pushes me. And I, like, push him back. And his other friend just shoves me. I just shove him back harder. It's like, what the hell are you doing? And the last thing I remember is that I get hit in the back of the head. And although everything is black, everything faded to black because I slowly fell to the ground. Almost when you pull the plug out of an outlet and your TV just slowly just kind of like goes into like a black vortex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I immediately just regain consciousness when I'm in like a fetal position. They're like punching and kicking me. 
And it kind of feels like almost like a bad dream. Slash, you know, you're you're stuck. You're drowning and you're trying to like, you know, get a breath of water. But you're being pulled down. But the reality is, I'm going to die tonight. And suddenly, I hear this noise. And it's getting louder and louder. And it sounds like a siren. Woo, 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 woo. And I hear, see the lights, it's getting brighter coming towards us. And I hear Adobe and his friends scream out, 5-0, let's jet. And they all just take off running with 40 bucks from my pocket. 40 bucks? I tell myself, is that what really our friendship is worth? Yeah, because the exact thing that your parents are like, this is what's going to happen to you. This yeah. is what happened to you. It's almost like they kind of predicted my fate, my folks. And that night I got back home and when I turned on the lights in my bedroom, I just couldn't believe what I saw. That stuffed teddy bear was sitting on top of my bed with one eye missing, just staring at me. It was like something straight out of an Edgar Allan Poe novel. And the next day, my mom and dad did not say a word to me. But they made me a cup of green tea and set aside of bandages. So looking back at it, like, did they see, like, did you, were you all beat up? Like, were they? I was bruised. Yeah. Yeah, I was pretty cut. So they were, like, aware that something happened Exactly. But they just were so livid that after, that I still snuck out. Yeah. So, you know, I've been on this earth for 42 years, years, and that's probably, like, the worst I ever pissed off my folks was that day when I was 14 years old. Yeah, because it was just sort of, like, it felt like that was you needed to have this sort of rebellious moment, I guess, in this world that was new to you to sort of be like, okay, I wanted to experience this and it's not all that I thought it was going to be and that's fine, but I needed to like have this experience to sort of know right. what this other world was like. I felt I was just kind of jaded. I felt like I was invincible and I just was trying to just push the envelope. And yeah, you were like, like a 14-year-old, like, dumb kid, just doing dumb kid things. Big time, just selfish and naive. And then know? getting, like, a little bit in over your head pretty quickly. I think I knew I was getting in over my head. It was like when I was taking that train, it just kind of, like, the adrenaline and just my heart beating because I was going to somewhere, like, unknown territory. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a new, exciting place that yeah. you were getting, like, basically, like, seduced by in a way, right? Like, there was this, like... Oh, this Adobe guy and all this stuff. It was like this new thing that for you was like something that you were fitting in in a way, right? And pretty much it's almost like kind of like, you know, a kid at a candy shop in addition, a kid at a candy shop slash, you know, a soldier actually going to war. Yeah, because there was that like weird adrenaline of you get entering that place and being like, whoa, like I am just getting like pumped up by being around the scene. Pumped up about, you know, the risk, it's like, what's going to happen, you know, just like living today, not for tomorrow, thinking that, you know, hey, listen, I'm just going to wing it, you know, whatever happens, I'm going to like, you know, come out <laughs> yeah. just stronger, but it just kind of like worked the opposite of me, and it's like looking back at today, my mom and dad weren't just my parents, they were like my guardian angels, and yeah. it's like, you know, now that they're old, you know, kind of like, I'm your guardian angels just looking over them. Yeah, like, how long did it take them to kind of, to fix, like, to talk to you again after this whole thing happened? I think a good week. Yeah. I mean, it didn't, like, totally, like, disband me, but it's like, they actually knew 
that was turning into a man. So in regards to like, you know, strict curfews and stuff like that, they didn't impose a curfew on me. It's like when I was going out, they kind of knew that I would always come back home. Yeah. Yeah. It was sort of like you you got your lesson in a way yeah. of like, okay, I'm not going to do anything stupid. Right. I got my lesson at the same time, proved myself that, you know, I'm becoming a man. And it's like, you know, sometimes you can't control someone's actions. Yeah. Forever, yeah. Yeah, and just got to be a little bit more aware of like who you're around and what you're Pretty much. doing, what situations you're putting yourself into. Exactly. But um, I put my parents through the ringer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, it's like today, um, you know, Unique Warehouse is an NYU bookstore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that nightclub is actually... Yeah, it's NASA now. Yeah. It's actually a high-end condo. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy how the neighborhood <laughs> changed. Yeah, it was like very much a, a, a place in time that existed when you were there, and now it's like a totally different world. Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of like back then. It was it's like no one would actually hang out in that neighborhood. It's yeah. like... It wasn't like your go-to place. It was mostly like for the artists or just like, you know, kind of like musicians. But now how everything has changed, especially like Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. The judge, I guess, judgeification. That's a proper word. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Yeah. I have no story that matches this experience because I never did anything (laughs) exciting. Right, right. It was very boring. I think if you grew up in the early 90s and you lived in the five boroughs. Yeah, sure I would have found myself in a slightly more trouble where for me it was like just growing up in the suburbs of New mm-hmm. Jersey and it was just like nothing was happening. Like kids would go to parties and stuff. I just uh-huh. wouldn't be that kid. Like right, right. I would just be the kid who would like hang out with my friends and we'd be like in a basement playing Mario Kart and mm-hmm. ping pong right, and then, right. like eventually poker. Mm-hmm. And that was a big deal because then there was like money involved. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you could like come away winning 60 bucks in a night and you'd be like, oh, this is sweet. But like, no, nobody was drinking. We were like right, right. having pizza and sodas and like that was, but then like kids would party, you know, uh-huh. a few streets down. I just, what that like wasn't the people I was hanging out with. Right. I feel like it, but you had options though. It's like, you know, growing up yes. in the suburbs, it's yeah. like you had a choice of like, you know, hanging out in your friend's basement and playing Mario Kart or just like going out and just like getting blasted, you know, at a house party yes. or something. Yeah. And people did both those things. And then my friends slowly started to be more of the house party people where I was just like, right, right. Hey, what happened to Mario Kart? Like, this was fun. Like, why aren't we doing this anymore? Exactly. And yeah, that was that was sort of my uh, high school years. <laughs> like, I guess it's good in its own ways. But then I feel like, yeah, I missed out on some early rebellion i mm-hmm. guess you know you can always catch up yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah now it's like i'm hitting 30 and that's when i'm gonna go rebellious you know exactly you know you're making money you can pay you can pay you can afford to rebellious i can do, some, I can do some yeah. wild things and it's fine you can do some mayhem and you know make it back on time for yeah. work yeah i'll work on it <laughs> it's it's funny because um i was actually going to grow up on long island oh yeah what happened is um when my folks were looking for a house to buy we did check out nasa county and we were uh Pretty close to pulling the trigger, but it was just too much money. Yeah. Yeah, so I could end up could just going different, up. Yeah. Different normal, just not normal, but just like just a different kind of boring, boring upbringing in Long Island. Maybe I might have been just like, I may have been just hanging out at 7-Elevens, drinking beers. Yeah. Like, you know, or you might have been getting on the train and finding the probably. same scene, you know? You never know. Yeah. But um, it's funny how your path in life brings you. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thanks so much, Dave, for coming in and talking my pleasure thank you brian yeah uh do people do you have like a website or if people want to like i know you do a lot of stories around new york city is there anything that you want to like tell people about that you do that they can look up or follow you online 
Okay, so I'm in progress of creating a website, but I do have an Instagram handle. It's DaveHugh718. And you can also look up, you know, videos I posted up of my story slams on YouTube. If, if you type in David space Hugh space the moth, you can search from there. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. Brian, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much, Dave. This is how we love. This is how we Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Instagram and Twitter at lovehurtspod and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts.